So, um, for those of you who were here last week, or if you haven't been in the room, so we're doing, in January, we're doing a little four-week series, and we're just kind of like talking about the start of the year. Uh, we know the world, the, you know, there's a kind of thing around the world about, you know, New Year's resolutions, new starts, and there's some good stuff about that, and some things I'm, I shared last week that I'm quite drawn to that way of thinking, and, but also there's some stuff about that which sometimes can be quite frustrating and disappointing, because we know that in the end, all our own resolutions, sometimes we struggle to keep up with them. You know, inevitably we don't get up early enough, we don't read our Bible enough, we, you know, we eat too much pudding or whatever it is that we vowed we'd never do again. And, you know, it kind of just all kind of implodes on us. And so there's some real good things about new starts, but there's some other stuff about it that can be quite disappointing. And actually underneath it, sometimes when we're thinking about, oh, I've, got a, I've got to put a New Year's resolution in, sometimes that can point towards a deeper need in us that actually we want to fundamentally change something about our hearts which in the end actually only Jesus can really do and we need something or someone to come and change us from the inside out so we thought well we'll put together a little four-week series and talk about just some of the key words instructions that Jesus gives his disciples that if we are good soil like we talked about earlier with the kids in can produce life inside out in us. And the word I spoke about last week was about the word Jesus says, come to me. And how it's so important that we understand the gospel uh, is starts really, for us at, at least, in terms of our experience of God, with the invite of heaven. Pretty much every world religion is built on the idea that we have to do things to get to God. And yet the gospel is built on the belief and the truth that actually he comes to us God becomes flesh born amongst us so that we can come to him. He comes to us and he invites us to come to him regardless of our performance, absolutely regardless of any track record on our part. In fact, simply based on his track record and his performance, that we can come. And the Bible and the gospel is about us going, being active. Jesus says, go into the world, make disciples. But you should only go and be active for God if you understand that you have received an invite from him. Fundamentally, you are accepted. And it's from that place that you can go. So going never becomes a place of qualifying ourselves. So we talked about that last week. If you've not heard that, you might want to pick up a bit. It's on the website. But today we want to talk about the word where Jesus says, follow. He keeps calling people, say, come follow me. So let's just pray. And then Sarah's going to come and speak on this next part. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you say your word is living and active. And so we want your word to be living and active in our own hearts today. And would you find in our own hearts or make our hearts good soil, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. One minute. My words are sideways and won't turn around. There we go. That's better. <laughs> Okay, so as I was reflecting on the word follow this week, I thought I'd just start by just looking up a bit of a definition of what follow means. So to go or come after a personal thing which proceeds ahead. To move or to travel behind. And I thought about in how our world we follow lots of different things. So I thought I'd Google quotes that say about following and these are the two images that came up first on Google. Can you, you can't really see past me, can you? I kind of duck. Are they going to, yep. Follow your dreams, believe in yourself, and don't give up. <laughs> Follow your own path, 
the right people will come along. And then I was reminded of, of, a, of, like, I was thinking about how following is actually sometimes quite costly. But I was reminded of this song. I don't know if any of you know this song. It's from Peter Pan. <laughs> Familiar? Wherever he may go. Tidum. Look, keep going. Thank you very much. It has a very light-hearted, joyful feel to it. And I was going, I think following can be very joyful, but following can also be really costly. So I was just reflecting, what, what does it mean to follow? And obviously, a good place to start is always by looking at what Jesus says about following. Because following is a wonderful privilege, but it is also a very costly decision. So we're going to look at Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25. If you have a Bible, you feel free to turn to it, but it's also up here. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is saying that to be a Christian is to be a follower of him. Not our dreams, not of our ambitions but of him. And like I've already said, there is some cost in following him. It says in this passage, if you want to know him, if you want to find your life, it involves taking up your cross and denying yourself. So I want to unpack this a little bit with you this morning. So a couple of comments on following. Following involves um, a choice. Now, many of you know that we have a very excitable dog called Amber. And a little while ago on social media, there was this thing where you get the owners of the dog, so that's me and Phil, to stand, stand, no, you, you have the dog in the middle and you take the dog off the lead and then you both run in opposite directions and you see who the dog follows. <laughs> now, Phil's like, I don't want to do this because I know the dog loves you most, which he's not happy about. <laughs> so we, but in the end, he tries it. So first of all, the, I mean, the poor dog's very confused. I run, he runs and the dog kind of comes for me then he's like oh no but here's going then he goes to Phil but then comes back and sits with me so I'm really sorry Phil I don't think you are sorry <laughs> no you're right I'm no I am actually I am a little bit sorry because I know you love the dog and I tolerate her so I, I wish she loved you more um but what I really what you realize is that it is absolutely impossible to follow two things at the same time like the dog had to make a choice she couldn't follow both of us and if you are a Christian you have made a choice to follow Jesus you have got salvation and forgiveness and becoming a Christian involves a cost it goes I am going to follow you but the cost isn't just if you make a decision to become a Christian the life of walking as a believer continues to involve us needing to make choices to follow following isn't a one-off choice it is a continual journey of giving ourselves completely and holy to following him. It is a lifelong journey in the direction of the leader. I f I'm following the leader, I'm following the leader wherever he will go. That is the choice of a Christian. Not just when we say, 
Jesus, I don't want to follow my own way, I want to follow you. It's daily going, I want to follow you. What else do we want to say about following? Following involves dependency and surrender. I don't know if you've ever been on a car journey where you go, like you might be going to the beach, oh, I'll just follow you. So you don't actually know where you're going, you're just following the car in front. That involves letting go of a certain amount of control. Our son was following us over Christmas and we got to the end and he goes, oh, dad drives so slowly. It's like, you don't get to decide the speed. You don't get to set the direction. You don't get to choose the route. So when you are following someone, you are letting go of control of the direction. Now, sometimes that's easy. I was thinking when I, if I go to The Hague and I see Tinica, Tinica knows The Hague well. She's lived there for a long time. I know it vaguely. So if we're trying to get somewhere and she goes, this is the way to go, it is very easy for me to follow her because I trust that she knows where she's going. If I'm in The Hague with Phil, he knows The Hague equally badly as, <laughs> equally as badly as me. We've both never lived there. So if we're trying to get somewhere, and this has happened, I go, I think this way is quicker. And he says, I think this way is quicker. <laughs> And then one of you, no heckling, um, basically needs to surrender your preference, your choice, what you think is right to follow someone else. So following involves surrender. It involves putting our trust in someone that isn't us. And it means following when we don't understand the route or the plan. And in Isaiah it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And following is recognising that, that his ways are different to ours and his thoughts are different to ours, and that we come as a, as a dependent with an attitude of surrender. And sometimes that's easy. And sometimes that feels very hard because we want to go our own way. We want to choose our own route. So I want to just talk in this next few minutes about, well, how do we follow? How do we follow God? What are some of the things we need to do? And we're going to be looking at a passage, um, the passage in Matthew, but we're also going to just intertwine it with a bit of our story. Um, some of you will know this, but some people in the room won't know this. But in we used to, Phil and I and our four kids, we used to live in London. We'd lived there for about 30 years and we'd been in the same church for about 25 years. Um, Phil was one of the senior pastors. It was a very large church. He had a good job. <laughs> he had his own office, which is very nice. We now have our dining room table, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> we had the trust of a congregation. We had friends who we'd known for decades. We had memories of our, where, you know, our, one of our children was born in our own, in the house we lived in. So we had friends that we'd built friendship with over years. So. When God started to speak to us that it was time to leave and that he wanted us to follow him as he told us that, that was a costly decision for us and it involved a lot of surrender and a lot of depending on him when, we, when our story for our lives was different to the one that he was, um, he was painting for us. Um, so it, that was in the summer of 2019. We spent a year deciding that, yes, we will leave. And then it took a year going, well, God, where do you want us? We, we needed to make a pretty urgent decision because our son needed to start school somewhere new. Two months before he needed to start school, God very, very miraculously and clearly spoke to us about moving to Rotterdam. 
which was literally by writing it on the side of a boat, which is a whole other story, um, but it was remarkable. So we moved. In two months, we packed up our life and we moved here, leaving two of our children in the UK because they were studying and bringing two with us. So here are some things that we learnt. Okay, the first one. Um, following involves choosing faith over fear. Whenever we make a decision where we don't feel in control, there is, there is lots of space for fear. How is this going to work out? And I was thinking about um, when Phil took some of his friends walking up a mountain. I don't know if you've got a picture of here from your children. So this, this is the first mountain I ever walked with Phil. I say, we walked up to here and I got to the water and I was like, this is beautiful, we can stop here. And he's like, no, 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 you have to get to the top. I'm like, okay, we'll go. But another time he took a bunch of friends up here. Now to get to the top of this mountain, there are three main routes. One, no, no, sorry, if you go back. You go round the side and you just walk up here, which is a gentle walk. Then there is actually a path up here. It's, it's very incorrectly named Easy Gully. <laughs> having, having climbed up there with four children and a dog, I can tell you it is anything but easy. The other one is you literally, there is a path right diagonally up the face of this mountain. And Phil took a bunch of guys from church to walk up there. And there was one guy, he'd never climbed a mountain before. And there's a couple of bits, oh, so yeah, you can flick on. There's a couple of bits on that, sorry, this is easy gully. This here is about five or six feet tall and it goes out so you have to kind of lift your children out over this massive drop it's not easy anyway the next one this is this is the bit i'm talking about this ledge up the middle there's bits where you have to climb out over big drops and one of the guys phil's was with he was like he just got paralyzed by fear he's like i can't i can't do it he just wouldn't move and Phil's literally going, his name was Robert. Phil's going, Robert, look at me. Look at me, Robert. You can do it. Put your foot here. Like, and he was looking at him. And I was thinking, in our life, it can be like that. Fear can be utterly paralyzing because we go, well, the risk is too big. What if I fall? What if, what if, what if? And fear can paralyze us. But just like Robert needed to look at Phil and trust him, we have a choice when we're making decisions, whether we choose to go to step into fear or whether we step into faith. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? If you're in a relationship, you know God wants you to stop. Well, you're like, oh, well, I'm fearful. What if I never meet anyone? What if I'm lonely? What if I give away the money God's asking me to give? What, what if I then can't, don't have enough to buy the things I want to buy or to, to pay the bills? Like, what, what if, what if, what if? Fear can stop us following where God wants us to go. At the start of last year, Vahe spoke, I don't remember, about keep looking up. And he spoke about when you're surfing. If you look at your feet, you lose your balance. You need to keep your head up. And I think when we're following Jesus, sometimes we just, we have to look up to him. We have to look up to him. And when we were moving, our move meant Phil, actually we both, we both worked at the same church. We both had to step away from our jobs. Um, that was hard. That was hard because of the trust we had. That was hard because... We obviously lost our salaries. Um, so for us, moving was a massive way we had to go. God, we trust you with our finances. We have two kids in university we're supporting financially. We, we're going to trust you, God, that you know not only what we need, what they need, and you will supply our need. But it wasn't easy. There would have been space for fear. Well, what if? What if we can't? 
we had to trust God for somewhere to live. We didn't have a visa when we moved. And you can't rent a house without a visa. We're like, God, we, like that, that can lead to fear. Where, where are we going to live? But fear isn't, fear isn't ignored. Fear is replaced. You can't just push fear down. You have to replace it with truth. I literally, I don't know how many times, you know, like at the end of the year, you get the, the Spotify thing that it tells me how many hours of minutes you've listened to. I think if there was that for how many hours I have sung Gyra, I don't know if you know the Maverick City song Gyra, you are enough. If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? How much more does he love you? If he watches over the sparrow, how much more does he love you so? I mean, I just sang it and sang it and sang it because I needed to displace fear. And the way to displace fear is by, it's not by ignoring it or pushing it down. It's by choosing to believe the one who's faithful. And sometimes that doesn't just happen like that. You have to feed yourself, feed your soul. Following, in, let's go on to the second thing. So following, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Following involves faith over fear. Following involves, involves denying ourselves. In the verse we just read, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He is saying that you can't follow him unless you get some of you out of the way. Your choices, your route plan, your opinions, your timings. In Luke 14, 25, it says this. It says, large crowds were travelling with Jesus and Turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, we're not going to go into, you know, looking into that passage in great detail, because in other parts of the Bible, it often says about honouring your father and mother and stuff like that. But what this passage speaks about is the importance I think I've written this up here, Chile. It's okay to go to that. It speaks of the importance of loyalty and allegiance to Jesus over all other competing loyalties, including family, self-interest and possessions. That's hard, isn't it? It doesn't kind of quite have the tidum. It doesn't have that feel about it, does it? That kind of, it, it sounds hard, doesn't it? Take up your cross. And, and if you're from a culture which has, lots of cultures have a far more importance on honouring father and mother, that, that's, that's just incredibly grating, probably. Like, what is that saying? When we were looking to move, some friends of ours said, go, go and write down some of the, you know, what would you love? What, what do you think God would want for you? And we literally, we went away for the day to this house and we had a piece of paper and we wrote down some things on it. And we wrote, we wrote down things like, we'd, we both have elderly parents in their kind of 80s and 90s. We want to live some, not too far from them. So in the south of England. Um, Phil has got a lot of experience of working with churches that are growing. So the church we joined was about 100. It grew to nearly, its biggest, nearly 2,000. So there's a lot. Of, so maybe a church of 100, 200, 300 that we can help grow and transition. So, yeah, that would be great. I wrote, which I just still think is hilarious, the only thing about the house that I wrote was, I would love to see hills from my kitchen window. <laughs> <laughs> now, it was literally like over time, God crossed every single thing off that list. Mm. 
So self-interest. It's funny, how, isn't it, how culture, you can just go along. We own a house in London. We're very fortunate to own a house. And I, we realised almost what, what happens is you own a house and you, you have your kids and then, the, then when they have their kids, you downsize, but you have a house that maybe the grandkids could come back to and you maybe move out of the crowd a bit of London. to a, And it was like we kind of bought into this Western dream that isn't actually a biblical dream. It isn't what the Bible was teaching, but it almost it's just what everyone did. And you're like going, oh, so if we move to the Netherlands, we need to put our kids in a, a school where they can be taught in English, which means we've got to pay for that which means we need to sell our house and use money from our house to pay for our kids' schooling. That suddenly went very much against, not even what we'd planned, but just what you assumed would happen. And you're like, oh, this is, this is changing. Now, as it was, we, we still actually have a house in London, which we rent out, but we, should, we, yeah, we need to figure out what to do with it at some point. But our previous church offered to pay for our kids' schooling, which was an amazing provision from God and his blessing. But we had to come to a point of going, God, we're willing to surrender that. Leaving two kids in another country was probably the hardest thing we've ever done. And even now, you can probably tell it's still hard to this day. Because I don't want to live hundreds of miles away from my kids. I want them around the corner. <laughs> I want to be able to pop in for a cup of tea. I want to be able to support them when they're sad and rejoice with them when they're happy. But actually, God said, move to Rotterdam. And it was so clear that our daughter said to us, if you don't do this, mum and dad, you're actually, she's, I mean, she's not even walking with Jesus at the moment, but she said, if you don't do this, you're being disobedient. And I'm like, yeah. But it involves, it involves surrender and it involves, it, it involves denying to some of your own dreams. It involved for us denying to the security that a salary had bought and going, okay, God, we're trusting you financially, not just for now, but as we get older, we're trusting you. So our move involved many choices to follow him and to listen to his voice. It involved denying and surrendering. But this leads to my final point. Following involves getting to know the one you are following and staying very close to him. Staying close to the one who is faithful, who knows you and promises to meet all of your needs and promises to be the one that satisfies your soul if you could just go to the psalm 23 too that'd be great i've been reading this wonderful book on psalm 23 i meant to bring it because i would just love you all to read it it's wonderful but this is probably one of the most read or well-known passages of scripture the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake in the book it says the first two words we often read over the lord is my shepherd and the book stops and goes the lord yahweh <coughs> yahweh who is faithful to his covenant promise to always love you yahweh who has inexhaustible resources, unwearied power, matchless strength, which he lends to my and your aid. And then it says here, look, he makes, he leads, he refreshes, he guides, he restores, he leads. 
So when we are following him, we're following the one who leads, we're coming to the one Yahweh, my shepherd, the one who cares totally and utterly covenant promise towards me of his everlasting love. That is who I am following. The shepherd takes absolute responsibility for the sheep. The sheep don't contribute very much. I have a shepherd who takes responsibility for me and I can trust him as he leads. And it says later on, he comforts me. Do you know, he pulls me close so I can hear him say, I will meet all of your needs, Sarah. I will be all you need. Every day, every decision, every step where you follow me, I will be all you need. So whilst the journey of following hasn't always felt like the tiddy, I tell you what, every decision to follow has been worth it because it's like that story in the Gospels where the guy sells everything to find the pearl of great price. And I guarantee you, if you lean in to Jesus, to following him, to letting him be the one that comforts your soul, you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. So I have found security for my soul. (laughs) I've found joy in the surrender because I've found that as I've drawn close, I've seen a bigger picture of who he is and he is worth everything, guys. And I don't want you to hear that it's following is always an easy journey. It's not, but it's it's worth it. He who loses his life finds it. So I'm going to hand over to Phil just for this last this last. So I just want to add one other thought when it comes to um, following and what that means and what that involves. And one of the other things I think it involves, if you want to follow Jesus, is you need to stay not only close to him, but I think biblically, and certainly in my experience, we need to stay close to others. There is a bit of a thing in Western Christianity where the gospel has been boiled down to, it's just me and Jesus. If I don't really need church or I don't really need other Christians, it's just me and Jesus and I can work it out. And in one sense, it is you and Jesus. But if you read the New Testament, me and Jesus is always worked out with us and Jesus, always. In other words, being a follower is a team sport. Individual growth, if you like, is a, is a community project. And we could do a whole series on that. But there is definitely a way of thinking in the church which has kind of permeated Western Christianity, which is, it's about me and Jesus, and that's what it's really all about. But I want to say to you, I do not believe that any of us ultimately can follow him to the extent that he wants us to and enter into all the things he has for us without one another. The New Testament, every bit of the New Testament when it comes to sanctification, which is about us growing to be more like Jesus, is always, always, always about the context of being one another in. Spur one another, encourage one another, love one another, challenge. It's one another, one another, one another. So whilst Jesus calls us individually, he brings us into a community of faith. That could be this church. It could be another church. But it needs to be some church somewhere. I want to just say to you. 
This is a famous passage in Hebrews 10. It says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up to us through the curtain, that is, his body, since we have a great high, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings us, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. Okay, so all those things you just described, he's just talked about is, here is parts of following, yeah? Drawing near, having our hearts sprinkled, holding on to hope. Those are all parts of being a follower. But then he says this, and let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, part of following is being connected together. So part of me being close to Jesus is being close to one another, because that's sometimes how I meet him, is through being together. And I have countless examples, as I'm sure you do. That's not about weakness. That is simply the way God's made us. It's interesting, Jesus calls 12, doesn't he? To him, but to each other. He models it right from the word go. <coughs> so as we close, what do we do? I want to say that following Jesus ultimately involves a choice. Obviously a choice right at that moment. Some of us have a very clear moment where we cross the line of faith. You can remember it if you've been there. You, know, you may be still wondering. But some of us have very clear moments. Other of us go, I, there was some point in my history that I made that decision. For me, it was like a series of moments. So there's a choice somewhere, fundamentally, am I going to follow him? But then there are ongoing choices. Today, am I going to follow him? I don't know if you've ever watched. I, I don't watch this, okay? But I remember growing up on the TV back in the UK, there used to be wrestling on Saturday afternoon. They used to show wrestling. It's not bizarre. It. Yeah, okay. I'm not a big wrestling fan, okay? You can, you know, there's a time for, you know, we'll pray for you and there can be moments of confession later on. But sometimes if you've ever watched wrestling, they have this bizarre thing where it's tag team wrestling. Yeah, it's two against two. One person in the middle, but then when it's a bit too much and they, get, they tag, the other person comes in and they tag team. And sometimes the truth is we don't really want to follow Jesus because it can be hard. Like Sarah said, it involves at times sacrificial choices and a trusting that his ways are better than mine and that he will look after me. But that involves trust. And that's why being connected is so important because sometimes being connected is where we st- find faith i've been at a conference this week with a bunch of other people i know just a really brief moment 24 hours away but i find that i feel bigger having been in a context of faith (coughs) something in my heart feels stirred because of these other people and meeting jesus in that midst when sometimes we don't want to follow so we want to tag team with him i don't want to follow jesus i want to tag team we don't say it but we can live it in other words it means i'll be in the ring And I'll handle all these things in my life, but when it gets a bit too much for me, I'll tag team, Jesus, I need you in now. Can you sort that issue for me? Jesus doesn't call us to tag team. (coughs) Fundamentally, Jesus says, leave everything, follow me. It's a radical, radical choice. I was listening to a podcast this week, a guy called Pete Scazzaro. He's quite a well-known Christian writer. 
And his podcast this week, or this, the start of 2024, is about radical realignment with Jesus. That's what a follower is. It's not about being a superhero. It's not about, oh, I've got to be real. No, it's about a radical realignment. Am I going to follow you? So here's the question. Where is my life clearly under the lordship of Jesus? Like I am clearly following him in this area or these areas. And where, if I'm honest with myself, is my life under my own lordship still? And so often, behind the areas where it's under my own lordship, yeah, Jesus, I like what you say about these three or four things, but this one, I'm not tagging you in on this one. So often, the places where we don't want to surrender and we don't want to follow and I don't want to follow, underneath that is fear. Often. Because fear is saying, you can't really trust him with this one. <coughs> yeah, you think right back to Genesis and when sin breaks into the world. It breaks into the world because the enemy says, did God really say that? Is God, did, did God really mean that? Is, do you not think God is withholding some good things from you? <coughs> so maybe on this one you need to, you need to just be Lord on this one. Underneath, so often, is fear. How do you fight fear? Okay. You fight fear not by going, I am going to do better. Okay. You fight fear with other promises. Okay. You have to fight fear with a promise. You have to outgun the fear, in other words. What are the promises you hold on to? You hold on to promises where you know God says, do you know what, I will, I will deal with that. I will provide for you. I will look after you. I will, care. I will give you that. You will, no good thing will I withhold from you. You fight the fear. You have to identify, what is it I'm believing which is wrong and how am I going to replace it with believing something that's right? Again, we could spend, we could spend a, a whole series talking about that. But the question is, where in my life is he king and Lord and I'm following? And where in my life, truth be told, I'm still Lord. Because I'm fearful that if I surrender this, he will not be who he says he will be. I'm going to miss out. I won't get what I want. He won't supply what I need. So I'm going to close. I'm just going to read you Psalm 84. And then we're just going to have a moment just to pray. Okay? But Psalm 84 is this psalm of pilgrimage. You know, I think pretty much, not all of us, but pretty much everybody in this room has moved. Right? <coughs> We've moved country. You know, I mean, if you haven't moved country, it's not something special about moving country. But we understand even humanly what it's like to move. But the picture of a Christian life is, is, is about pilgrimage. And Nairi and I were talking before about home. And there's a sense of being a Christian. We've all got natural places called home, places, countries, people. But there's a sense of being a Christian where actually we're never quite at home here, wherever we live. But there is a home one day. 
And it's this picture of pilgrimage. And it's this picture of presence and cost. But then there's this promise right at the end of Psalm 84. And I want to read it to you. I want to read it over you if you like. But I also want to show you this is one of those promises we use where we go, I'm going to surrender this part of my life, whether it's this relationship, whether it's financially, whether it's that hope, whether it's that career that I'm going for, which maybe is driving me into, into ways of living which is not right. Whatever it is, how do I surrender that to him and not cave into fear? Well, you've got to believe a promise. And we're going to close with this. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, the King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains will cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I'm going to pray in a moment. But right in the end of that psalm is this promise that if I follow him, I will be blessed. That doesn't mean I'm going to get everything I need or I'm going to have three houses. I'm going to be, it doesn't mean that. It means that I will, work in his, I will walk in his purposes and he will provide what I most need. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and all these things will be given to you. Your father knows what you need Seek me first. Jesus says, deny yourself, and then what? Then you will find life. So I'm going to pray. Sarah, I don't know if there's anything you want to add. And just as we close, and we've run out of time, so I just want to, in this moment of prayer, I want to give you a chance to respond. All right? And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit, you speak to him, okay? So let's bow our heads. Let's take seriously his word. Let's be good soil, right? Be good soil. Let your hearts be good soil. And if you know, God, I'm hearing you say something to me, then why don't you, just in these moments of silence, just respond to him. Name those things, and then I'm going to pray to close.